You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Apparently, fuck sound checks. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story I need to hear about. (laughs) Who gives a rat's ass about sound checks? So please, Joe, please go ahead. Mom and Macho Man. Yeah, my my mom and Macho Man. So when I was a kid, wrestling was a big deal because when you were growing up poor in my area, that's what you did. You had basically a, a, a cable box, de scrambler, so you could watch wrestling. And it was a big deal. Everybody in the neighborhood got together. There were parties for like WrestleManias and SummerSlams. It was a, it was a huge deal. And back when I was a kid, one of the biggest names was one of the superpowers, Macho Man Randy Savage. Well, I live in a big enough town uh, where they would occasionally come here. And as a matter of fact, we have wrestlers who are from here. Like Brutus the Barber Beefcake is from the area. Like his dad used to eat at my mom's restaurant. Wait, I met him. He's what was a really his cool name? Dude. What? Beefcake? Brutus the Barber Beefcake. <laughs> yes. The, the, this is going way back, too. Uh, but one of the... Yeah, barber is in air quotes because he walked around with hedge clippers. Yes, he did. And, it was, and there's a whole story of... That's a whole... That's a story for another time. Um, but so they would, they would occasionally come here to the odd. And so one of the things that we would do is once a year, my family would get tickets. And we'd always be up in, like, the nosebleeds or something, but it was always a great time. Well, the one year... Um, my biological father, uh, who was still in the picture at the time, managed to score ringside tickets. Don't know how he did it, but he did it. And it was one of those nights where, like, Hulk Hogan faced, like, the honky-tonk man in a cage match type thing. It was a big fucking deal. Um, and it was happening right in Buffalo in the 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 odd. So we, we got all gussied up because it's a big thing. And that's what you did back then. You got dressed up in your, like, your Sunday finest and you went and you had a good time. Um, not like now where you go in like, you know, jorts and a ripped T-shirt. Um, so the shows were long enough back then that there were usually several intermissions. So during one of the intermissions, I had to go to the bathroom. My mom wanted to get some concessions. So she takes me. We go out and out into the hallway. And how old are you at this so, point? What's that? How old are you at this point? Seven. Okay. Eight. Maybe. Sorry, you hadn't said, and I've been curious since you started this story. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> 24. <laughs> yeah, really, it could have been last week for all we know. <laughs> no, this is this is way back. This is in the 80s. So this is like late 80s, 87, 88, something like that. Um, Might have been 89. So we go and we get the, we, I do my business. We go and get some concessions. Well, as we're waiting there, it turns out that we were close enough to where the locker room was stationed for the guys. This is important for a reason, and and, and, um, it'll become obvious in a second. My mother was always a very beautiful woman, still is. Um, But one thing when she, back in the 80s, her and Macho Man Randy Savage's valet were fucking twins. And we're talking Miss Elizabeth. She looked just like Miss Elizabeth. So here you have this woman all glammed up. Like, we're talking hair done, earrings, glitz and glamour, the whole nine at a wrestling event. And so all the little kids immediately assume it's Miss Elizabeth. (laughs) And they start screaming and they start asking for, you know, autographs and shit. So my mom, being my mom, and this is where I get it from, start signing the fucking autographs. (laughs) I love that woman. (laughs) Who's she going to tell them? No, she's not going to ruin these kids' days. She's just going to go and like, you know, whatever. So it turns out Miss Elizabeth was supposed to be there with Macho Man because he had a night, but she was out sick. So wrestlers had been roaming the halls during the intermissions here and there doing like meet and greets and stuff like that. When my mom's signing these autographs and out from the crowd, you hear, get out the way, kids. Here comes Macho Man seeing that my mother is playing up the part of Miss Elizabeth, throws his arm around her and starts (laughs) playing it up as well. So here you have me, like eight-year-old me, losing my goddamn mind because Macho Man is ten feet in front of me, like with my mom. Like, ah! 
played it up, signed autographs, did the whole thing. I got a pat on the head from Macho Man, and he disappeared back into the crowd for, you know, to go back and do his stuff. It was one of the most interesting moments of my <laughs> early years because here's my mom being a ham about it, and here comes the actual man that could have said, well, that ain't her, and been a complete asshole about it, but he was super fucking chill. He was super fucking cool. I got his autograph, and it was one of the coolest moments of my childhood. That is freaking awesome. <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> and from that moment on, wrestling has always been a part of my life. <laughs> All right, let's move on with actual games now. <laughs> now that we got that, so we're starting our wrestling podcast, Joe. Yeah, really. <laughs> Tell me, we got a bunch of games that we're going to be talking about this week. There's a crap load of Blizzard stuff that we're going to get into later on. But before we do that, did first of all, are either of you playing through this season, the third season of The Walking Dead? Nah, not yet. Yeah, okay. It's low on my priority list right now, unfortunately. It's too bad because it should definitely be higher. Now, there's going to be a few spoils. I'm going to try to be very, very careful what a spoil kind of thing, but... Whatever. I played through three the night before last, last night. Anyways, I played through um, through three. And if you'll recall, I was saying that I actually liked one and two quite a bit. I like this season. I like what they're doing. I like heavy air. I like the dynamics with the family because immediately he and, and by virtue of that you get thrown into this extremely dysfunctional family uh, made worse by a somewhat vindictive and petty older brother that takes out a lot of his aggression on Javier you and he's just a jerk kind of thing he's basically he's a, a big bully that as a grown man is still a big bully and and has a, a very short fuse kind of thing. There, there's aspects of him that are still good. He, he seems to kind of come around every once in a while and remember that you're his brother. And, and it's not that he has necessarily tender moments, but he does. There is that, that brotherly love that still is there. And anybody who has siblings understands that. You, you don't always get along, but the love is still there. You, one of the things, just to be a little personal here, but one of the, the things that I remember of, of my older sister, the thing that she said to me, in fact, it's probably the only thing that I really remember. And that's when, again, we were both teenagers, both of us pains in the asses. And her statement was, I, I love you. I just don't like you. And it's true a lot of the time with siblings. So you see that in, in this story and you have the option as the player to stand up for yourself more and point blank call him out on his ass hattery, or you can just kind of swing with it and just kind of whatever, just let it go and move on. But right from the get go, you get some stuff with the brother that's like, it goes above and beyond. Like he really, to the point of being physically abusive towards you, like, Again, yes, there's a lot of pressure because at the, at the beginning, it's their father who is passing away. And that's how it all kind of starts from that point. And so there's a lot of tension in that household. And Javier, you are not going there to, to well, essentially to visit enough, to be there for them enough. And as is often the case in those kind of tropes, the that younger sibling is still always been viewed as the quote unquote favorite. And there's resentment for that from the older sibling. So again, there's some tropes, but in this case, they're kind of tropes for a reason. Those are things that happen a lot in real life. So now once you get through the, the first couple of, of episodes and you get to the end of the second episode, again, spoiler here, folks, at this point it is spoiler. By this point, you've traveled around and much like the other two seasons of The Walking Dead, hell, like the comics, like the TV, everything, part of the the new landscape of The Walking Dead are settlements everywhere that you can go. And you might be accepted, you might not. 
A lot of times they're led by ridiculous, evil, mustache-twirling villains. But sometimes there's some regular folks that are just being careful of, of who they let in and whatnot. So you've found out that there's several different settlements kind of in the, around where you are, including one very large one that's not viewed very well at all. Especially when you find out some stuff from Clementine, which once again, those dynamics between Javier and Clementine continue to impress me. And that was for sure in this, in episode three as well. Uh, just to quick, sorry to interrupt, quick question. How, how long is this after season two? How old is Clementine? Clementine's an early teenager, essentially. Okay. She, when you get to the end of season two, she is making her way through the zombie infested uh, landscape with the baby. And she's still like in her like maybe 12, 13 kind of thing. And then here, it's a few years later. So okay. I peg her at maybe 16, but I don't think so. 15, 16. And, uh, and I mean, she had started getting pretty tough in the second season. You had some options there to be pretty tough, especially in how you treated the new group that you were when you first got there kind of thing and the people that were giving you a hard time. And by the time you see her in here, this kid is a freaking samurai blade. She is sharp. She's cutting. She knows what she's doing. She does not fuck around at all. Like when she first meets up with Javier, he's being um, uh, 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 trying to be robbed or whatever by somebody else. He manages to to scare them off, but he doesn't shoot them. And she's behind and she's eating a fucking apple all chill and then takes her gun and tells him, put your hands up now. <laughs> And she's going to rob him. <laughs> and so that's how you get introduced to Clementine in this series. And then you find out that she was part of that bigger entity that's not seen very well kind of thing. So there's a backstory there that's really engrossing. And you get more of that in uh, in this episode, in episode three. In fact, you get a lot more and you get some flashbacks where you play as her. So you have, again, a modicum of control in, in how the story is going to progress and whatnot. So there's some very cool stuff. But then you see the interactions between her and Javier's brother. Because that's the, the, the spoiler is at the end of season or episode two, they're trying to save somebody. And they're going to the settlement, this bad settlement. And who comes out? Who's one of the leaders there? Javier's brother. So episode three is a lot of the dynamics of the new group that Javier's in. There's not a lot of them, but the new little group. And his brother in this massive settlement. And there's a lot of bad shit going on there kind of thing. So three is a lot of, once again, you get to decide what type of person you want Javier to be. Because his brother's saying, like, we can deal with this. I know what you're talking about. And that's where you see the moments of... Not of sanity, but of the brother that you want him to be, a good guy that's just kind of mixed in with some people that are not good, and he didn't realize it. Or you can take the point of, no, fuck you. You knew who these people were. You knew who you were getting in bed with. You're responsible for this. And so he's trying to get you to just kind of, because he has to work with a uh, an upper echelon group of leaders, essentially, and he's trying to get you to just, you know, just relax, be chill, don't start anything, don't say anything, I'll take care of the security problems, and we just need you to be accepted here, because it's a gated community as well kind of thing, so be as good as you can, so that you can stay here with your injured parties and whatnot. I kind of decided to fly off the handle a little bit. <laughs> As I am wont to do sometimes, and it's like, no, like, you shot this person I cared about. You did this. Fuck that. I'm not going to sit down and pretend that didn't happen. And shit goes bad. <laughs> shit does not go well, again, as is wont to do in a Walking Dead game. But it's so well done. And the choices that you are given aren't light choices because the impact either way can be fairly profound. I'm going to assume that if I played nice, 
I would have been allowed in that that community. And then I could have planned for the escape or different other things. Again, try not to spoil too much there, as opposed to now being stuck on the outside. And But then part of that that was good is I got to explore an entire other region that you might not get to in the other playthroughs. I'd have to see. But it, there, there is that feeling of there is actually weight to these discussions. There, there's not, I feel, there's not always enough choices. Yes, there's two or three, but as an individual, sometimes you're like, yeah, I, I wish I could do this or this. But of course, that's all dollars on top of the fact when you're looking at the development of games. I'm really enjoying this a lot. Not as good still as episode or season one, but that's a pretty high bar. But definitely better than season two by a long shot. And just by virtue of the, the fact that they're being very original with the story to a certain degree and how you see things with the new character, how he inter- interacts with Clementine and things like that. Really, really enjoy it a lot. So moving on from there now. I can basically be quiet now. You guys can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with Dark Souls, Dark Souls 3 because that the last DLC came out, The Ring City. Joe, you're still playing this, right? Yeah, I haven't gotten through uh, the Ring City yet, but it is a game that I do still play pretty right. pretty regularly. What did you think uh, of what you played at least? It is interesting. So what it's doing here, at least from what I've seen, is some really deep callbacks to some really obscure things from the first two Dark Souls games, but also Demon Souls. And that's been sort of the motif throughout Dark Souls 3. I also learned that angels are fucking pricks and that they should be murdered at all costs in this game Apparently because they're never, worse than demons. You never watch Supernatural? <laughs> they're worse than even in the Supernatural. <laughs> because you can't deal direct combat to them. You have to weave... Oh, these are the most asshole enemies I have ever seen in a video game. So these angels will bombard you, and if you get close enough to them will sort of radiantly explode and deal massive amounts of damage to you. You can theoretically survive. Maybe. In order to defeat them, because they don't take damage when you hit them with anything, you have to find a host. The host is hidden somewhere in that area, which means you have to find something that blends in with the fucking background and murder that to kill the goddamn fucking angel. And if you don't do that, you can't scour the area to get the items you need to beat the bosses, which are a pain in the ass, it's classic Dark Soulsy. It really honestly is. <laughs> but what's interesting about this to me isn't just that it, the expansion is good, is what's being spoken about the expansion. Because there's a lot being, I don't want to say sewn up here. It's was supposed to be the last Dark Souls game. Now we're finding out it might not be. And you can kind of see that in the Ring City. There's hints that there's more to the world going on and more influence from the other ages than just the age of ancients moving into the age of fire, moving into the age of darkness. There's some weird interplay going on, and I don't know when things got fucky, but they definitely gone fucky. And I don't know how many years it's going to be till we get some more continuation of the story, but I feel it's going to happen relatively sooner rather than later. But I'm honestly interested with how they move that forward because I don't want this to be the last game. I want this to be the last of the section of the world because we've already been in the same spot. Like we've been in, in Orlando, we've been in, you know, that sort of area of the, like the kingdom of Lothric and, and, and everything like that for a while. There's a whole world out there. Dragons were everywhere. The ancients were everywhere. And from what we know, there weren't just human kingdoms. There were kingdoms of giants. There were kingdoms of weird, like, demon things. There's a whole other layer of things that we don't understand. Like, and if the time of ancients was dragons, where the fuck did the demons come from? There's a whole lot of unanswered questions, and it gets more complicated in this ex- in this expansion, this content, than it was before. Because bosses from the original Demon Souls, yes, you can write it off as... Oh, it's just a callback, but it's the final boss from Demon Souls back in this one. Why? Like, w- what's going on? So I'm intrigued. 
I honestly am. And one thing I will say, people think Dark Souls is all about this weird, dark, dingy world. Ring City has some of the most gorgeous vistas and landscapes I've seen in a video game in a long time. So I don't know. I think I think they may have hit uh, hit this one out of the park, which might be a very good apology for uh, Ashes of Arendelle, uh, which was not exactly well received. <laughs> Uh, but with four new bosses, tons of new sub bosses, a bunch of new areas, secrets galore, and just weird, weird callbacks. This is, it's good. It's real good. Like, I, I think I can be fairly confident in saying this will probably be the last Souls game. But like you said, there's other places to go. They can start a new series and a new place with a new story that still connects to the larger overall narrative and that'll free them up to put in some more gameplay tweaks like you know like we saw in bloodborne like they can do a game that still feels it has that souls feel but doesn't play like a souls game so I, I think that's what i'm more interested in seeing them doing is how they can expand upon what they've done here tweak the formula make something new while still being familiar the one thing I'm interested in, though, too, is I'm wondering that they, they've they've said that they're two distinct worlds, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they rescind that and maybe there's some link between Dark Souls and Bloodborne because that would be a hell of a thing. And that could be a very interesting thing of how everything happened in different parts of the world, a completely different gameplays, completely different cultures. I, I'm 100 percent intrigued. That actually sounds really cool. It does. Okay, let's move on from there now. Vince, are you excited for Agents of Mayhem like I am? I I just, everything I keep seeing about it is like, damn, this looks like a lot of fun. I am, like, theoretically, but I, I'm also in that point where I can't get excited for any more new games. <laughs> like, I, I've got enough of a backlog from 2017 to last me until 2018 at this point. <laughs> like, I don't want any more good games to come out this year. But yeah, Agents of Mayhem looks like an absolute blast. I love what they're doing here. This is, of course, Volition, the creators of the Saints Row franchise. And what I love about it is Saints Row, in a lot of ways, became the evil dead of... yeah. The video game universe, wherein the first Evil Dead tried really hard to be a legitimate horror film and didn't quite do it. <laughs> they realized people saw it more as a comedy than as a horror film, and then they leaned into that as the franchise continued. Whereas with Saints Row, the first Saints Row game was straight up a GTA knockoff, and as the franchise progressed, they realized, you know, okay, we can't just do GTA. Nobody's going to do GTA better than Rockstar is, but they found their niche, and Saints Row 3 is, like, the highlight of what you can do to satirize a Grand Theft Auto game. And then Saints Row 4 technically continued that, but to me that felt more like a, a twist on the open-world stuff of, like, Crackdown, Infamous, that sort of genre. So now that they've got Agents of Mayhem, which is very loosely connected to Saints Row, but as I said, it's a new IP, a new franchise that they're taking off, which if you look at some of the press previews, some people really love Agents of Mayhem, some people hate it, and it seems to boil down to how much they want it to be connected to Saints Row. Like, <laughs> this is really fun, but it should be a Saints Row game. I'm like, just, whereas, the, you know, other sites who are able to look at it and judge it on its own merits are legitimately impressed by what it's got going on here because this is now Volition's take on the hero arena game. So it's, you know, they said it was inspired by Dota and League, but of course it draws more comparisons to games like Battleborn and of course Overwatch. <laughs> and as they were saying, this game was in development when Overwatch was. So when Overwatch came out, they shit themselves because <laughs> it's like, oh shit, this is our thing. Until they found out Overwatch was multiplayer only because Agents of Mayhem is designed as a single player experience. So there are going to be two different sides of the same coin. And I, it's going to be a blast seeing just what they can do with that hero shooter formula in comparison to a game like Overwatch. Yeah. So 
But this, like, the aesthetic they're going with here, and I love what they did with this latest trailer they put out of describing the game as bad versus evil. Because by no stretch of the imaginations <laughs> are you the good guys. You're just the not less as, bad Yeah, guys. you're not as bad. <laughs> Option B. Yeah. Yeah, you're a member of Mayhem, the multinational agency for hunting evil masterminds. So they just got together the most badass crew of people they can to hunt down supervillains. And the cast of characters is, of course, gloriously over the top. You've got your, you know, Johnny Cage style Hollywood superstar. You've got what I could what I could tell was a Russian Mr. Freeze. <laughs> and of course, Daisy, the roller derby girl with a minigun. Because why not? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And you're going up against Legion, the League of Evil Gentlemen intent on obliterating nations. And God, I love a good yeah, acronym. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Marvel could learn a trailer. thing or two from these guys. That's just absolute chaos over the top. But it had, for me, what got me was, of course, the A-team theme playing in the background. <laughs> And then even at the end, the little Knight Rider tease just had me popping off. I was like, this game is going to be an absolute blast. It's full open world, actually set in Seoul, South Korea. So, well, a version of Seoul, South Korea, yeah. at least. <laughs> I like that, though. It's it's different. Not, not different in terms of a version of so much as it's a different locale. So yeah. instead of always being Tokyo or something like that, this is kind of cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. And Seoul is, of course, just a big, you know, multinational melting pot being a big city and having all these influences from throughout Asia and the West and, and everything all coming together in this big city, which is where you have this multinational cast of characters and crazy over the top supervillains. It's it's a great setting for this type of game. So what they're talking about here, though, is full open world, but of course there's a story behind it, just like the Saints Row games. Saints Row games had phenomenal stories, not like deep, you know, great character interactions, but they were just a blast. And it was a fun ride of like just going along and seeing where things could go. So now that you have this cast of characters, they said there's 12 playable characters and you can have any three of them with you at one time that you swap between. And there's also going to be character-focused missions, like getting into their backstories. Like the one I read was talking about Daisy and, you know, how she came to, came to join Mayhem. And the entire mission is told, like, The Hangover, where she actually didn't remember and had to backtrack her steps to figure out how she got to join this organization. So uh, they're going to be a lot of really interesting things. Like, some of the stuff, like, even the 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 press that was positive on the game said like some of the character stuff like they're fun characters they're interesting but it, it's you know they're again they're not good people so you're gonna have an, a little difficulty maybe relating to them and getting into their deep backstories if you will but i'm not going in <laughs> expecting you know and yet you watched quality. this trailer and thought i have finally found my people <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like <laughs> this is just going to be an absolute blast. Like by no means am I going to pick it out when pick it up when it comes out. God, it's coming out what August? I think they said. Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, it, it, it's soon. Yeah, August. Because we, we first heard yep. about this about two years August. ago at E3, I think it was, and then haven't heard a word about it since. So I thought it got canceled. Like I this didn't is know also why I was happy to see THQ it. going out of business and uh, all kinds of stuff going on. But it popped up this past week in a big way. And man, like this is going to be a ton of fun. Like I'm sure I'll pick it up at some point if I find a gap in my gaming schedule because <laughs> it's it, it's just going to be an absolute blast. I love what Volition does with their games. They're always a ton of fun to play. If you just want to like sit back and enjoy yourself for for a time, you, you have a hard time finding anyone better. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm in the same boat as you are too. Of course, I'm doing that a lot more with games now too. It's I'll wait. It'll go on sale eventually, and then I'll pick it up. But goddamn, does it ever look like a ton of fun? And and I we've gotten a few too many serious games as of late. So not not necessarily that they take themselves seriously so much as they're not this type of kind of kooky. I don't know game. about you, but I'm about to start playing a game where a talking you're cat doing, transforms into a car. Yeah, well, you're doing freaking Persona. That, that doesn't count. That's like, yeah. Plain all itself. All right, let's move on. 
Uh, Joe, you wanted to talk about uh, Total War, Warhammer 2. Yeah, this was a big surprise when they announced it, and they announced it by dropping a amazing cinematic-style trailer. So Total War Warhammer was one of those things that came out of left field, and it was good. It was damn good. Uh, it, you basically played Total War, but in the style of Warhammer fantasy from Games Workshop, where you had magic and dwarves and humans and in all sorts of, like, cool amazing mass combat and it was absolutely glorious well total war warhammer 2 is being announced and it's going to center around four new playable races so far they've shown the high elves and the dark elves which everybody was clamoring for uh, and that's a, a a bitter rivalry as old as the game itself it's basically regular elves versus dark elves um lizard men which was another race that everybody's been clamoring for which are giant magic wielding Aztec-style lizard people uh, who are absolutely amazing. And a, quote-unquote, fourth one still to be announced. It's Skaven. It's going to be fucking Skaven. If you anybody who's a fan of Warhammer and doesn't understand that we're going to Lustria, into the, the deep jungles of the world, and the fourth race is going to be Skaven because the Skaven and the Lizardmen hate each other. So if you have High Elves and Dark Elves, you're going to have Lizardmen and Skaven. It's just how this works. But it looks like it has the potential to be some some absolutely gorgeous backdrops to to play against because it is going to be uh, a very jungle centric area that you're going to be playing in as as part like at least a good portion of it. And then if it is Skaven, there's going to be all sorts of blighted areas where you see magic has sort of destroyed this part and made it into a wasteland, and that's where they thrive. Uh, you're going to have the High Elven areas, which are these beautifully crafted cities of, you know, light and magic and Dark Elves, which are all about bringing the pain and serving the dark gods. So that's going to be really cool. The interesting thing here is that there's going to be a new narrative style of campaign. They haven't really detailed what it is, but as you play through each of the four races, there's going to be um, a more deeper story that's going to be kind of conveyed. And I I, I dig that because... First one was just about war. Now they're actually starting to in, like put that narrative that has been present in Warhammer for years into the game itself. I'm okay with that. And the cool thing about it is there's going to be apparently hundreds of hours of gameplay. I cannot wait for this. <laughs> this is a day one fucking purchase for me. And uh, apparently this is also only the second game of a trilogy. There's going to be a third one somewhere, and I love it. <laughs> Did they... See, I keep going back to the same thing, and you know what? It's 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 actually a good question to ask because I know for a fact a lot of people feel the same way. Also, in terms of when we see a Warhammer 2, if we did not play the first one, are they going to make it open enough to new people that it's worth picking up kind of thing? Case in point, if the, Persona 5 that we've talked about. If it's anything like any of the other Total Wars, absolutely it will be. Yeah. Because the, the campaigns and, and the, the overarching stories are always contained within the bubble of the game itself. Okay. Right? So this story will revolve around the four races that are in conflict, mainly. And then each one's going to have their own story that's unveiled. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. Because I never played Warhammer. I Hell, I don't even know if I own it. I don't think I do. So yeah, I never got a chance to play it. Hmm. If you if you like war type or RTS style strategy games, and it's not exactly the same, but if you like clicking buttons and making minions go do things and watching the beautiful battle unfold, it, the first one comes on sale. Highly recommended because it's something you don't have to throw a ton of time in. You can pick up a game here and there and play, and each individual mission can be relatively quick. There's many many different ways to solve each mission, uh, so you could be me who spends countless hours setting things up and then watching everything play out perfectly. Uh, or you could be, you know, Vince and just blow everything up. What's wrong with that? There's, there's just, there's advantages to both. To vibe the strategy. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that there's not, I'm just saying it's, it's opposite ends of the spectrum. Awesome. All right. Let's move on from there now. And <laughs> Joe wasn't here last week, as you folks will remember. So I made sure to give him a lot of talking time. <laughs> Make up for lost time. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of Blizzard stuff. So It's only because I told him the Macho Man story. This is That's why he's giving me the talk time. So we're going to talk about 
WoW's patch 7.2. We're going to talk about Heroes of the Storm 2.0, some Overwatch rumors, and finally a little Diablo 3. That'll be me, though. So, Joe, talk to us about uh, patch 7.2 and why it's so important. So it continues the story that's been unfolding of the Legion invasion because we're finally getting to the Tomb of Sargeras. And uh, we're starting to actually do things revolving around breaching the tomb, locking everything away, and those very necessary steps that we have to take before we make our way to Argus. It's interesting, at least the content at first glance. Like, there's there's very... There's some potentially off-putting things where people like the whole war effort thing, but it looks like it's an entire region-based thing now, not just a server-based thing where you work together to build the Broken Shore footholds into these you know, power bases from which to assault back the Legion. Um, the cool thing about that, though, is it's tailored to the individual just like order halls. So when you go there, if you're a shaman, you're going to see other shaman summoning elementals and doing shamany things trying to get everything prepared like you would see like you would imagine shaman preparing for war would be doing same thing with like hunters and everything else and i thought that was a kind of a unique thing to do um if you go to there's some communal areas where you go and it has npcs from all the other different classes and and, and things like that where you and you can interact with other players um but i thought it was a nice touch that your landing point is pretty much you uh it introduces the uh, brand new dungeon, uh, which is the Cathedral of Eternal Night, uh, which is cool in a lot of regards because uh, one thing lore-wise about the Tomb of Sargeras is that used to be a temple of a loon. The whole thing was a temple of a loon. It was not originally meant as a tomb for a fallen titan. And you can see this when you go through the Cathedral of Eternal Night, which was a place of worship for a loon. You can see these areas of sort of where corruption didn't touch or couldn't completely touch as you fight your way through it. And the presentation of the zone and the presentation of the dungeon is probably one of the better ones that they've done, maybe with the ex- exception of the new Karazhan. It's really well structured. The story plays out really well. Uh, there's some interesting NPC interactions between, uh, God, why can't I think of her name now? God damn it. May, uh, Maeve Shadow Song and uh illidan because he's back now and it's just it's kind of a cool little five-man dungeon that introduces you to the story of it and if you don't nothing of the story of the zone it gives you that as well so it's kind of cool for those that maybe don't know the lore don't want to go back and read a million books one five man gives you a basically a primer that also introduces uh class campaigns which are going to be important for a couple reasons one you're Order Hall has started to be useful again. For a lot of players, they hit an end point where they got everything on their artifact, they completed their campaigns, they were done. Now it's opening back up where you can do more research and do more stuff around your artifact because there's a whole new set of traits to unlock, which I could care less about. But there's a campaign that will lead you into your class-specific mounts, which we talked about previously, and is part of the whole unlocking flying for the Broken Isles, which a lot of players have been looking forward to. Me personally, I'm one of those people because I want to ride a giant fucking elemental. I think it's fucking great. There's some other things in there like demon assaults, which, I mean, if you live through the invasion pre-Legion, it was fun for a little while, but now it's becoming just a thing on the Broken Isles. Not sure how I feel about that. Uh, There's some new PvP stuff. There's a lot more features as far as animations go too. something they didn't highlight that a lot of players noticed and I thought was kind of a nice touch when you target something with your character now in game your character's head will actually turn to face it really yes that's cool so and this also they went so far as even like Final your fantasy has been doing that for years no shit <laughs> Uh, but they went so far as like your travel forms, your your shape shifted forms also do the same thing now too. So it was across the board. And I thought that was a nice little touch. And then yes, other games have been doing it for a while, but it's nice to to have no, yeah, it, acknowledge it, that, right? Again, yeah, Warcraft is in a position where they don't have to change anything to be successful, but they are continuing to improve it. I respect that. Yeah. There's also uh, a new transmogrification stuff where you can actually have sets and appearances. Um, there's actually an achievement tied to going back and collecting all of the old sets now finally 
Uh, so if you get all the pieces of like tier one, tier two, tier three, et cetera, et cetera, uh, there are individual achievements that then give a meta achievement, which I think is like Legion Stylist or something like that for those that care about, uh, as we affectionately call them, my guild nerd points. Uh, they revamped professions a little bit, which I thought was kind of cool. One of the most to annoying make things them worthwhile. Was, what's that? <laughs> to make them worthwhile. Because the last I them, saw professions, it was not worth doing anymore. To make them less prohibitive, yeah. Um, So one of the biggest things that they had a problem with in Legion was a good idea executed poorly, which was the Obliterum Forge. Uh, It was a way that you could take crafted materials, blow them up for dust, that you can then use to raise the level of other crafted materials to give either you more items to sell or to give to an alt or whatever the case is. Problem was, that quest was so fucking expensive to complete a lot of people just didn't friggin' bother. They've refined it now so that there's just a quest chain that you go through that unlocks it that doesn't involve the expensive materials and crafted stuff that you had to get done before, which is nice. There is also a little change where 815 crafted gear, which was like the highest you could craft without upgrading it, is now going to start at 835, which I thought was a nice touch. And the Obliterum cap moved from 840 to eye level 875, which is on par with actual raid gear. So that is fulfilling the promise of making professions a viable way to get raid equivalent gear for the players that care about that. I think that was nice. It's probably a little too little too late, but it's there. There's a lot of other minutiae in there as far as uh, the professions go, but I'll leave that as that. And then the you, you can look at that as your own free time. But the biggest quality of life improvement they've made was, well, I guess twofold. One, uh, they fixed how the game loads Dalaran, so everybody was complaining about the blue bar. You should be fixed now. Yay. They also actually took a look at tab targeting and how it was working and recoded it so that you no longer wind up randomly targeting something just within your field of view or even off in the distance behind you in in sort of like the sphere of your influence. It's now more... Uh, what you would expect your character to be concerned about. And it's a quality of life improvement that nothing more Um, for hunters, (laughs) basically for hunters. Cause that is the one thing with hunters invariably, whether you're playing one or in a group with one motherfucking (laughs) at least once per dungeon. Oh, sorry. My bad. Didn't mean to pull (laughs) you motherfucker. Yes. That, that still happens to this day. The last thing I'm going to talk about real quick is kind of a cool thing that I think is it's one of the best things they've done dungeon wise. So Karazhan was released as a mythic only dungeon, which I thought at the time was a really dumb idea because they went through, they revamped Karazhan. It was a completely new experience and it was fucking amazing. It was probably one of the best experiences I've had in five player content in a very long time. By making it mythic only, it was so prohibitive and tuned so highly that it was very difficult to get groups to do it unless you had a group of friends uh, or or guildmates that were specifically looking to do Karazhan. They've taken it and they've split it into two parts, lower and upper Karazhan, if you want them to be, where you can actually queue as a heroic and they've tuned it appropriately. So players can actually experience the new Karazhan and story which is actually really phenomenal. And if you haven't done Karazhan, I highly recommend queuing for them and giving them a shot. Along that same vein, they did the same treatment with the Arcway and Court of Stars, which were hands down two of the best dungeons they've ever crafted. Court of Stars is a D&D experience. It is not just a beat-em-up dungeon. There is actually an RPG element where you get to play a detective in the game and figure shit out. Yes, there are ways to circumvent that if you have certain classes, but if you care about that type of stuff where you can like experience the content as if you were your character in full immersion, Court of Stars is probably the closest thing you're going to get to D&D inside of World of Warcraft, and it is really well done. They've taken both of those and made them heroics, so now you can go and experience them without having to worry about them being mythic only and being gated by uh, weird reputations that take forever to grind so good on them for doing that. I wish they would have done it sooner. And I, if you haven't experienced either of those and you're even remotely interested, take the time and do it. 
especially Court of Stars. It is a fantastic dungeon experience. Hmm. Okay. I you know what is funny because I was hearing freaking pizza talking about getting back in and it was like oh, you know what if it wasn't for the fact that it's so fucking expensive to buy a token now they're like closing in on a hundred thousand gold and and again I'm not paying twenty two bucks a month for a membership. I was like I would love to go back in just to dink around again. Nothing serious, but just it's that game that's fun to go back into and just, you know, create a new gnome warlock for the fuck of it or do something else or go on your your mains and accomplish something or run old dungeons or whatever it's just again prohibitive at this point to try to use the token system and i i'm past the point of wanting to pay for subs anymore so <laughs> it's like yeah, i guess i won't be playing for a while What's funny is, you know, she plays on her laptop when she's sitting next to me on the couch. And, you know, for the most part, I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever, Warcraft. But this weekend, she started up that Warlock, which, as you know, is kind of my jam. I'm like, huh. <laughs> did you but do I probably the, won't. Did you no, do the you first tweet 20 levels? <laughs> Because you can I'll do those what, for free. After I finish Mass Effect and Persona and Horizon and Nier, th- then we can talk. Okay. But by then, Stormblood will be out. <laughs> this is true. When's Stormblood coming out? That's this summer? June or July? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which also happens to be the same time Path of Exile 3.0 comes out. Yeah. It, sorry, guys. Not happening. Yeah. Early. Okay. All right. Anything else for a while, Joe? That's about it. Uh, we're still waiting on the, the raid to open up, but that's going to be fairly soon. So I'll report back on how that goes uh, after that happens. Okay, let's move on to Heroes. What did you think of the Heroes 2.0 stuff? Honestly, I like it. Okay. Cause... Mainly, mainly, I really like the progression system change. Really? Why? Explain so, to the folks what we're talking about. Okay, so there are two ways you level up in Heroes of the Storm. You level up your character or you level up your account. Your account has a level cap of 40, and that's it. Once you hit that cap, that's all there is. When your characters level up, you get things like gold, abilities. You get get rewards, essentially, is what it boils down to. Uh, The thing that I like about the new progression system is you still get those rewards, but you get almost like random rewards, sort of like loot boxes from Overwatch. Now, the interesting thing about that is the old system, the experience curve for heroes was very, it got really steep at the end. So you get your first couple levels, you get to level like five or six, and then the experience would just ramp up that you would need to get from level to level. And then characters like your account had a level cap. So at a certain point, you just earned all the rewards from and you were done here. You continue. there's no more level cap. You just continue to earn XP. It's a flat rate now. So you don't have to worry about this really steep curve. It sucks a little bit at the beginning, but you appreciate it after you hit level six or seven, it's a smart idea on their part. It is something that I'm really happy they did. And I think it's great. I I saw Overwatch, of course, with the loot crates, because that's essentially what this is. Oh, they admit it. They flat out said it. Yeah, which is not a bad thing. The only problem is, is that it's going to wind up being for a lot of people exactly what loot crates are now in Overwatch for the most part, which is completely pointless. Like, I I don't know how much you're still playing Overwatch, but, like, Tristan and I are still playing quite a bit, especially Tristan, of course. But we're constantly joking around because the loot crates mean nothing anymore because the drop rates on anything that you want are so low that you're just constantly, constantly, constantly getting duplicates of shit that you've already gotten. So it's like, yeah. I'm not even, I'm just, I'm at a hundred and what, 120 maybe ish kind of thing. And I've already like loot crates are pointless, except when it's an event. I case, would yeah. argue though, I would argue though that there's a difference between the loot crates and overwatch and the loot crates in here of the storm for one specific reason. Overwatch dilutes the loot box loot because they add shit that either nobody cares about or takes away and reduces the chances of the things that people really want skins. They add things like sprays and 
voice lines or extra crap that nobody wants. Uh, some are good. Some some of them people do want, but for the most part, there there's a whole big delusion through that. Oh, uh, Heroes doesn't have that. Heroes doesn't well, have that because they will. They're introducing sprays and banners, so it's going to be the they, same kind of thing. They, I, I would love to. I'm going to wait to see how they do that because I haven't seen any sprays yet. Nobody seems to be interested in them at all. The feedback on that's been pretty harsh. The other stuff has been fine yeah. because there are things that you can do in this game. And here's the other thing, too. Overwatch is a very limited set of heroes. Yes, it's growing, but it grows very slowly. Heroes of the Storm expands fairly regularly and has a large cast. There are lots of skins. There are lots of mounts. There are lots of things that players do want that seem that, that are a little more meaningful than Overwatch. And I think I will hold that you have a more likely chance of getting something worthwhile in Heroes right now than you do in Overwatch simply based on the volume of the cast of characters. It also gives incentive for people to maybe try a new character that they haven't tried before because, hey, here's a cool skin for Muradin. You've never played him before. Go give it a shot. Try it out. And it's a nice thing to do, especially for a MOBA, because one of the, the big traps just like Overwatch, and I'm sure everybody's encountered it, you have the person who won't play anything except one thing. Here it's giving them incentive to play something else or do something else or try something other than that one hero that they always play. So I'm okay with it. Uh, I would be okay if they don't do anything with sprays ever again in any game because I think they're dumb, but that's just me. Yeah. There Again, it's... It's not to say that I don't like the system. It's not to say that there won't be certainly some things that I'm excited to get that'll be like, oh, this is cool kind of thing. And also that idea, like you're saying, uh, in terms of having something for a character that maybe you don't play a lot. So now it's like, oh, let's give it a shot for, you know, even if it's just for one game, that might be all it takes for you to get a feel for the gameplay of that character and go, oh, shit. Yeah, no, I really do actually like this. I am far from an expert in heroes. Like, I really, I don't pretend to be. And I haven't played all the characters. I, I haven't even played all the goddamn characters I own. <laughs> so, and, and every once in a while, I'll be playing with Tristan because that's who I always play with. And I'll try something, a new character or whatever. And it's, it's like one of those, well, damn, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that a lot, actually. And I will play a few more games with that character. So, again... In that regard, it's 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 good. I just foresee a lot of a lot of useless shit, be it the sprays, the banners. Also, they're doing voices that you can choose from. Well, once you've gotten a few that, you know, the rest are going to be pointless. You're not going to be interested or there's only going to be so many. So then you're bound to get duplicates yet again kind of thing. So I'm, I'm just foreseeing the same issues to a certain degree that we're already seeing in Overwatch. That's all. That's all. Which is not a big deal. It's just to say that after a while it'll be like, well, whatever. Loot box, who cares? So, But speaking of new heroes, they did announce a new one as well. Going back to Diablo again, Diablo 2 at Javazon. That was awesome. I played the crap of freaking Javazons in, 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 in D2. So that was actually really cool. So we're getting Cassia, who's going to be a ranged assassin. And I like what they're doing with this character in terms of how the armor is going to change based on if you're moving or not. On mm-hmm. the splitting javelin, which is a trademark of hers from D2 kind of thing. I liked the the idea of pulling enemies to you. Kind of like uh, Diablo does that as well, coincidentally, again, from the same IP, but can pull someone closer to you or flip them over kind of thing. So I kind of like that because she's going to have some really cool abilities that aren't just ranged, but she can also use her special to pull somebody in to then use that fucking flurry of attacks shit that she Mm -hmm. did. It was like, okay, yeah, this looks like a lot of fun. And then being able to do the blinding of other characters is going to add a certain amount of control to the game too, which is nice. I also enjoy the fact that she has a pirate queen outfit and her spear, her javelin turns into a anchor and it's absolutely (laughs) hilarious. And she has a giant one eyed skeleton belt buckle. It is phenomenal. I, I, I'm loving the Diablo two love that we're seeing. Yeah. And I'm happy that that's happening. I just wish that we'd get more of it sooner. 
Well, it's the anniversary, so that's why, no doubt. Well, I mean, the Necromancer has been in HOTS for a while, too. So, I mean, he's yeah, been there for a while. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, but, I mean, in terms of just adding the next one, making sure that it is a D character is a nod to the IP. One last thing I will say, though, too, and this is uh, speaking of new characters, have you seen Probius? Oh, that's the little droid, isn't it? It's the probe from yeah, the probe. fucking StarCraft <laughs> it's who's awesome. gained sentience <laughs> and has become a hero of the storm. He is probably one of the most interesting characters I have played in a MOBA in a long, uh, see, long I, time. I didn't play him. I just read on what it was, but I didn't actually take the time to play him. It, it feels completely different than every other character in the game. And and that's one of the things that I, I'm I love about heroes. I have my gripes with it. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that there are a couple of things that they can do to improve it. But heroes like Probius and Abather, who play completely different than any other hero or type of hero in any other MOBA, are why Heroes is such a fun game. And the fact that you could do things like summoning random stuff into uh, existence and random cannons. You can set cannon traps and just like you could in Starcraft two and, and brood wars back in the day. That's fucking hysterical. I love it. I do, I, I do too. I'm trying to, I, I got some money saved up and I'm trying to decide which one to buy. And I was going to buy <sighs> fire Lord dude. Um, Ragnaros. Ragnaros. I was He's another buy, one. He's another one, too. Yeah, I was going to buy him, but then I didn't. And now there's a uh, Warcraft um, rogue character that can stealth. Oh, Valera. Oh, God, she's so fun, too. I and she, she plays just like a rogue. From, yes. Wow, it's amazing. I haven't played her, but I played against her, and it was infuriating. And I told Tristan, I said, that character is annoying. And he said, she's always annoying on the opposite team. Always. And I went, I'm buying her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything that infuriates the opposite team, that's what I want to be playing as. So, Oh, oh yes. Yeah, that's I'm dying to pick that up because it looks like so much fun. And, and again, that's another cool thing because they added the the con- she uses combo points, and that's a cool concept for something to for do in an MMO because co- rogue combo points you have to manage another resource on top of your energy and others stuff like that is cool, and that's why I will keep playing Heroes of the Storm, and I play it fairly regularly. So 2.0, keep giving me new heroes, keep giving me loot boxes with shit that makes me want to play other heroes. We're good. All right, you mentioned Diablo, and the new season, season 10, dropped on uh, Friday night. And actually, I played with Tristan. We both made, we both decided on going with Witch Doctors because it's the Zenimasa set, which makes you have like an army of fetishes and shit. And so we both have, <laughs> like, you see all of mine. There's like 20 between the fetishes, my gargantuum, the dogs. And then I see all the ghost images of all the ones that Tristan has up as well. And then we just go together and wreck shit. <laughs> all our minions just scatter and just obliterate everything in their path. It's glorious is what I'm trying to say. The, um, the season doesn't have a ton of new stuff. Which is disappointing because we were, of course, hoping that the Necro would be in this one, but it's not presumably would be in the next one because the hinting is that the Necro is coming out in the summer. So here's hoping they did uh, include the the armory feature, essentially, which is just allowing you to save specs and armor sets and paladin. No, not the paladin point. Paragon. Paladin, paladin, whatever points. Uh, that's not Paragon. Yeah, Paragon. That's what I thought. You got it right, and then you corrected yourself to be wrong again. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I was thinking Bioware. I was thinking, no, it's not going to be the same thing as Bioware. <laughs> Anyways, the uh, the it's it's interesting because again, it's something that is very useful. Though it's one of those things that is very useful once you've gained quite a few Paragon points and are farming a lot more different things, be it the rifts or the greater rifts or you are power leveling clan members kind of thing, which is some, one of the things that we like to do a lot kind of thing. So, cause everybody likes playing alts. And other than that, I mean, there's not a ton. I, I know there was a lot of other things that they put in some being just, you know, quality of life, little improvements and whatnot. But 
we're just playing because uh, I was talking to Joe about this before. Tristan and I pretty much figured out how Diablo 3 works for us. We don't play regular at all. I haven't logged on to one of the regular characters in forever. Mailbox is probably full and shit is just getting deleted because I, I could give a rat's ass what's on regular. Season comes out. We play for two, three weeks. We level up our characters, do everything that we want in terms of the seasonal journey. And then we stop before we're fed up with the game. And then wait a few months. Next season comes out, rinse, repeat with a different character. So so in that regard, it, it works for us and it's fun. Case in point, again, I was playing before the podcast. We're still having a lot of fun in it in those those chunks. And this season's no, no exception. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I, I just can't get back into it. Like, I, I think I burned myself out. Well, that's what happens. That's what happens. And it's mm-hmm. not until you go back in that you realize, damn, you know what? It, it, they fucked up so bad when the game first came out, but once they started tweaking it and fixing and taking out the, the stupid shit from originally that was originally put in, it is good for what it is. It's a lot of fun, and especially the seasonal stuff. The one thing that I will say is that I find that you reach that point in the seasonal stuff where because it's all in, in terms of chapters and you got to get a whole bunch of achievements within each of the chapters to unlock stuff. There's that point where you have to be pretty hardcore and it's like, there's no point going on otherwise. And once like you, you, you need, you need like the perfect layout with the perfect yes. mobs. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. When you are looking at the higher end stuff, so if you can't grind, you know, rifts for a hundred goes at a time. Forget about it. Well, yeah. because And that's the thing you do need to grind, not just to get the better gear and whatnot, but also to level up your gems. Well, you have to mm-hmm. do that by, by doing rifts to get the keystones that you need to do the greater rifts. And then you got to farm the greater rifts. So there, there reaches that point where, okay, this is it. Like the, I always reach the, the, the chapter that would unlock a new stash tab for me, which I would love <laughs> to have, but that's the point where I was reaching. It's like, no, I'd have to farm for weeks on end just to level up one character to be able to do this and unlock a stash tab. And it's like, no, fuck that. I, I don't have the patience for it. But for me, that works. And now we, like I said, we enjoy it. We run in, we do a whole bunch of shit for a few weeks, and then we're done. And and in that regard, it works. So now moving on to Overwatch. Actually, there was just a, a rumor that dropped today. Actually, right before the uh, the show, I was showing Joe about Overwatch and possibly what we might expect for another event coming through. It was interesting because over on their Facebook page, they opened up a, uh, there was an image, right? And the image was the Overwatch Mission Archives, which was the King's Row Uprising, something that happened, we know about this, uh, which happened seven years prior to the events of the current game. And it says that it is a current security clearance confidential that will be declassified on April 12th. It is surrounded by images of what looks like one of the Omnic plants in the right-hand side. Uh, it looks like possibly an image of Sombra behind that. And a, another image which has a mandatory robot registration act, uh, which we know that the UK has been trying to do for a little while, at least in, the, in terms of the game, which is part of the whole problem. I, I'm really curious what that could be. I mean, it could <laughs> totally be six bastions versus six bastions, which I will lose my goddamn mind. But I don't I don't know how they would do it. There's a lot of Omnics now as heroes, if you think about it. You have well, you, besides Bastion, you now have Orisa. You now have um why can't I think of his name now? Zenyatta. And I mean essentially Genji is about as close as you can get. <laughs> I love that you had to say, in terms of the game, (laughs) the Registration (laughs) Act, because this might be something that's actually, if Brexit and Trump can happen, there there might be an Omnic Registration Act. (laughs) Got to to document those illegal robots, Roger. Those those filthy illegal robots. I, you know what, we keep talking about this in terms of... That excitement that you get at these fucking hints, and they know it. They know it. That's why they drop shit like this, so that we're all like, ooh, does it mean this? Ooh, maybe this, maybe this. And 
we're not always well, as excited fair, with the, rewarded for that for a lot with the that's ARG what stuff I'm that saying. they've been doing and the hidden shit. Yeah. Dude, the idea of an event that is humans versus Omnix, whether it is a flashback to something that happened before or some development of now, which again, the shit that's happening at the airport there for Arissa, there, there's something going on there. There's a lot of bad blood. But if they were to spill that over into an event where it's, again, humans versus Omnics, and then you have the restrictions on the teams, which would then force players to potentially be playing outside of their comfort zone and try, once again, try different classes or different characters and see if there's something that you like. Whether it is a, well, it would have to be an arcade event, obviously, because they wouldn't be able to do that for regular old play. But, man, that would be phenomenal i would play the shit out of that and give us a ton of customized stuff for the loot boxes and finally the loot boxes will mean something because man i would love that imagine omnic skins for all of the characters you know what i want to see yeah but imagine a whole bunch of omnic skins that are damaged from being in war so you have, you know, a skin that has the arm that is partially busted out, some sparking wires, whatever, faces of the characters that have been damaged or whether both the humans, well, humanoids, as well as the the uh, the Omnics and showing them as as showing the effects, the actual effects of war, not as gruesome, obviously, but this is hard won victories. I would love to see that. We don't have to wait too long, luckily. <laughs> that's like uh, not next week, but the week after. So that's going to be A little awesome. over a week, yep. Yeah. Can't wait to see that. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. Joe, great to have you back on the episode. And thank you again to Chestnut for pinching in for you last week. That was awesome. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is LoaderZJ. Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. And you can find us also on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us some comments there, and we will see you guys next week. Come on and be my little good luck charm. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.